Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Guys, today is another day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice in what? Amen. Well, I'm excited to be with you guys again this morning, uh, and I'm also humbled. I hope you guys know that. Like, every opportunity that I'm given to preach, it's, it's truly a humbling opportunity. The, the time that I spend studying and preparing for a sermon is just as enriching to me as it is, hopefully, for you guys. Um, so, one, I just want to say thank you for that, um, because it helps me grow as a man and as a pastor and as a brother in Christ to you guys. And so, my prayer this morning is that as... I prepared this week that this message will definitely penetrate your heart as it penetrated mine. So, um, man, and also I hope you guys are blessed by the worship. Man, that was awesome. The, every song that we sang this morning ties so well into today's message. And so I thank Marsha so much for the way that she prepares the worship time. So if you guys have your Bibles, though, go ahead and get those out and open up to the letter of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. Uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians. We've been going through this letter over the last couple of weeks now. We are now in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21 this morning. So we want to get those out and turn there. Or if you have your, your phone, you can get it out and pull it up digitally if you'd like. But before we, uh, as you guys open up and find your places there in Ephesians, and before we get into that letter, I would love to read to you guys a passage that I hope and pray will set us up successfully for what we're going to be looking at today uh, as we continue through that letter. But it's found in John chapter 17. It's a, length, it's a little bit lengthy of a passage, so please uh, bear with me. I know, I, I know how I am. I like to be a little long-winded at times. Um, but I'm going to read this passage to you guys. Verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over flesh, or over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I have come from you. And they have believed that you have sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am, glor and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that you may be one, or that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the, scripture, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may, be, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, 
and the word has uh, hated, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them in the world, or, or keep them from the evil one. Uh, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that you also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me by, or may or love me may be in them, and I in them. I know that was a, a longer passage, and many of you guys may have recognized this passage. Uh, this is what many scholars and many of us have come to know as the high priestly prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus prays over his disciples, just as just before he actually, they all go to the garden of Gethsemane and he is then betrayed by the one in which he referred to, um, the the son of destruction, Judas. The reason why I wanted to read you guys this prayer is because I feel like this sets us up so well to what we're going to be looking at now in Ephesians chapter 3 with Paul. Because if you remember, this, the whole letter of Ephesians so far is written to this church in Ephesus, but it's, to be, it's meant to be circulated throughout the region, is Paul reminding them and encouraging them of who they are in Christ, and not only that, but how they are to be living in the world as the church. And what we see in the high priestly prayer is the foreshadowing of what Paul is now going to be saying here in Ephesians chapter 3. And how he is going to continue to encourage this church to follow what Jesus was praying over his disciples. To be in the Father as he is in them. So, I pray this morning that as we walk through these verses in Ephesians chapter 3, that we'll see the parallels here. Because, again, Paul, he's just going to continue in the same heart and the same love as Jesus did when he prayed over his disciples. And if you guys didn't catch it, Jesus wasn't just praying for his disciples. He was praying for the future disciples. He was praying for the future church. Us. He had us in mind when he was praying that prayer. And and overall, what we're going to see between the high priestly prayer and what Paul's going to be praying today and what we're going to be reading in these verses is that it's set out as an example for us to follow and how we are to be praying for one another constantly as a unified body of Jesus, of, of God, of the church, which we so often neglect. We have a tendency of coming together and we have a tendency of worshiping together, which is fruitful, which is beneficial, it's, it's, it's loving, 
But yet when we leave, we often neglect to be praying for one another as we go out into this world that is so quickly being led astray, which I, I get it. It's been being led astray since the beginning of sin. But we have neglected the opportunity to be praying for one another, and that's exactly what we're going to be seeing in Ephesians chapter 3. So if you guys want to stand with me, we're going to read this together. Picking up in verse 14, Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power. Man, I don't know what's going on. Um, Strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power of work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Will you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, we've been blessed. We've been reminded through songs and hymns what it means for us to be amazed by you. What it means for us to to magnify you in our lives. And I pray that as the church... That's exactly what we will be doing in the day, for the days to come. Lord, I pray that you'll go before this time, that you'll speak to our hearts the things that we need to understand, the things that we need to recognize in our own lives, in our own hearts, when it comes to our spiritual health, of how we need to be praying for one another, and how we need to be pursuing you. But Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, this prayer that we see here in Ephesians chapter 3, in my opinion, reflects and, and correlates so well to that of the high priestly prayer with, of Jesus praying over his disciples. And what I would like for us to do is pull out three simple things that Paul demonstrates for us and how we must pray, not only for one another, but also for, uh, just for the entire church, the global church. But Paul and Jesus both in their prayers demonstrate to us how we are to pray. And the first thing I want us to see here in verses 14 through 15 is that we need to be praying a prayer of submission. When we go before the Father and pray, we need to understand that it's not about us. It's not about the church. It's all about magnifying and glorifying the Father. Verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And we also see a very similar thing going back to John chapter 17, where Jesus, when he goes before the Father, he recognizes, hey, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh. 
He recognizes who the power comes from, and so does Paul. For this reason, I bow my knees. And we must take an acknowledgement over why, of how Paul is approaching the Father and why it's important. You see, in context, traditionally, Jews did not, when they prayed, they did not bow on their knees. They did not bend over. They typically stood with their hands out. And a lot of times, like even today, what you see over in Jerusalem now, when the, you see the, the Jews go to the wailing wall, they, they stand there and they sway back and forth while they're praying. But Paul, what he sees here and what he puts an example for us is the fact that he is on his knees. He's on his knees before the Father. He recognizes that it is by God that he is where he is today and that, he, that he's able to accomplish the things that he's able to accomplish. His life is for him. He is totally surrendered. And we see this all throughout Scripture uh, of, of different occasions where we see religious or we see prominent names bowed before the father like for example in second chronicles 6 12 through 14 we see solomon king solomon one of the greatest kings our world has ever has ever had seen he is at the dedication of the temple and he is before the whole entire nation of israel kneeling on a platform as he spreads towards heaven in prayer again this is the king i mean king solomon was the king at the time and but yet I mean, the most powerful guy, but yet he is on his knees before the Father. And also, we see the, this very similar thing with Jesus uh, in Mark 14. After the high priestly prayer, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and you see that he is just so overwhelmed by what's fixing to take place. What does he do? He falls in submission to his knees, to the Father. He recognizes where the power comes from and where the glory comes from. And he falls to his knees asking the Father to take the cup from him. But he says, not my will, but your will be done. And this is also not even the first time that we see Paul on his knees in prayer. Especially with the Ephesians. If you go to Acts 20, verses 36 through 38, what you'll see is that Paul is, he is praying with the Ephesian elders because he is fixing to go to Jerusalem. He's like, hey man, I don't know if I'm going to come back and see you. I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what lies ahead. All I know is that the Holy Spirit is telling me that persecution awaits me. And I don't know if I'm going to come back. So what does he do? He falls on his knees and tears with the Ephesian elders and prays with them. And so when we go before the Father and pray for one another, and as we are praying for our world and all these different, and the things that overwhelm us, we need to go to the Father with a bended knee. We need to be in a prayer of submission before him and recognize that it is in him and through him and by him on heaven and on earth that everything is named. The second thing I want us to see here, though, as we go, move on to verses 16 through 19, is that we, don't even need to, we just don't need to be praying a prayer of submission, but we need to be praying a prayer of intercession. And we see this in Jesus' prayer and in Paul's prayer. The first thing that Paul, in verse 16 there, it says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
And there's four things that Paul that's going to be praying for when it comes to this intercession. And we also see a very similar thing in Jesus' prayer. Is The first thing is uh, the psychological, praying for the psychological, and then all, which is what I, we would call the inward power. Okay? Then he would pray for the emotional or inward presence, the mental or the inward perception, and then the spiritual or the inward provision. We'll work through these. But the first thing that we see there in verse 16 is the psychological. When he prays, he's praying for our psychological well-being, our inward power. That he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. And this is beautiful because what this reminds me of, it reminds me of just before Jesus prays the, the, the high priestly prayer, what does he tell the disciples? In John chapter 16, he says, hey, it's far better for me to leave you than for me to remain here so that way I can send the Holy Spirit. So I can send you the helper. And it's through that helper that we find this inward power. And we need to be praying for one another that we all are, are dwelling with that inward power, with, this, with the Holy Spirit. The second thing that he talks about here in verse 17 is the inward presence. He says, so that, so Going back to verse 16, he said that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. You see, once we, in our lives, once we believe in Jesus and receive Jesus, this is this immediate uh, and dwelling of his presence in our hearts. And then he sends the spirit with us and he takes residence in us and he dwells within us. And as a result of this inward dwelling in our hearts, we begin to understand the vastness of who God, of God's love. And we, and going back to John 17, we see Jesus kind of, or we see Jesus talking about this in verses 11 and verse 13. He says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And you go down to verse 13, it says, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my, uh, my joy fulfilled in themselves. You see, Jesus knew that it was good for him to leave because when we have the Holy Spirit, that's where the joy comes from. That's where our strength comes from. That's where the inward, inner, inward power comes from and then our inward presence. We're emotionally able to, to face each day because of the indwelling Spirit and Jesus being in our heart through faith. For before Christ, our hearts were veiled by our trespasses and sins, but through his death, burial, and resurrection, that veil that once separated us from the presence of God has now been removed forevermore, granting us access to his presence and ultimately to his love. And as Jesus said in his prayer, his love is what? Truth. We were once blinded to the truth, but now through the power of the Spirit, we are now, we have now, our eyes and our hearts have been opened to the truth, which is something that is so being plagued in our world today. What is truth? whatever you want it to be. And that's so not the case. Jesus is very clear that God's love is truth. His word is the truth. But the only way that we can experience that truth is, if we have, is, is when we experience the, 
the goodness of God and his love through Jesus when that veil is taken away from our hearts. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. That's the key thing right here. We have to remain rooted and grounded in God's love, in God's truth. If we're not rooted and grounded in his truth, guess what? We're just going to be walking around with blinders on this life, thinking that we have it figured out, but we don't. Thinking that, oh, just because I go to church, I'm good. Or just because I go to a Wednesday night, I'm good. Or just because I go to a prayer meeting, I'm okay. Like, no, those things are just covering up the stench of death that's truly in you. That's what Jesus talks about when he talks about how the Pharisees and the Sadducees were just whitewashed tombs. On the outside, their appearance was fantastic. But on the inside, they were dead as everybody else. But then he goes on in verses 18 and 19. He goes from the emotional or inward presence to the mental or inward perception that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. It goes to the mental, the inward perception. When we allow Christ to dwell in our hearts, our hearts become rooted and grounded in love by which... It, by which came down to save us. I mean, that's the whole thing of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whomever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are rooted and grounded in him. It is also through this love that is, that is truth that we become aware of the fullness of God's love as seen in verses 18. I feel like I was just really repetitive there. I apologize. But as a result of this, our perception of who God is becomes so abundantly clear that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. You know, the thing in which we were not able to comprehend before, the glory of God, the magnitude of God, his love, the thing in which we desire but we could never understand. Well, when you come to know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior, it becomes available to you. You grow in it and you be able to comprehend it. And I love how Paul describes it here with, with the breadth, the length, the height, and depth. The breadth refers to the outreaching love of God. His love reaches across the globe and covers anyone who comes to him. It's so great. Then he goes on to the length, which refers to the eternal love of God. From eternity's past to eternity future, it existed before the foundation of the world and will exist after the world's end. It's eternal. It goes beyond any barrier. Then he goes on and talks about the height, which reminds us of God's love, um, uh, sorry, of the love of how God's love brings us to his throne. We have a tendency to think that because God is who he is. He's way up here and there's no way that we can get to him. But let me tell you something. When Jesus came down, he didn't just come down. He came down to bring us up with him. Through Jesus, we now have full access to God. We are now at the same level with him. 
The fullness of God has now been revealed to man through the life of Jesus. Then he goes up and then he wraps up with the depth of God's love, which reminds us that God's love is available to reach our deepest needs, sins, or hurts. And I want y'all to hear this as well. That it's not even just about reaching our deepest needs, sins, or hurts, but it's a matter of reaching those who feel like they are way too far gone. If you're in this room today and you feel like that you've done something that is just too harsh or too far, that's, that's too bad to, that the love of God can't reach you, you do not understand the love of God. And I encourage you to come and seek it. There is no sin in this world that is too far or too great that God cannot overcome. The depth of his love, the depth of his love is great. And as a result of this being available to us, we are now able to know Christ and his surpassing knowledge. You know, there's, there's this... Paul refers to this throughout this letter of this mystery, the mystery of the gospel, the thing that was once veiled from our hearts has now been revealed. That's what he's talking about. When he talks about Christ and the surpassing knowledge, the thing which we were once blinded to is now given a sight of God's holiness, God's glory, God's love, the purpose and the mission by which he's created us for. Our identity, all these things now become available to us to understand. And then he goes on in verse nine, the second half of verse 19. It says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you're a believer of Jesus and you're in this room today, the fullness of God is dwelling in you. There is not, there's not just a limited amount of access that you have to God. When you confess and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord of your life and he dwells in your heart, you have the fullness of God in you. We are the ones who limit that access. Why are we denying that? We have the full power of God at our fingertips, the full power and the full knowledge of who he is, but yet we choose to stand off. I don't know about you guys, but the, you know, you know Spider-Man, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. That's as if, that's as if like, that's how we approach God. And if I get too close and there's gonna be with great power, there's going to be too much responsibility. Guys, God is not a burden. His knowledge, his love, his goodness is not a burden to us. It empowers us. And let me tell you something. To think that it's your responsibility in this life to carry out God's mission or to, to save souls, that's prideful. God has already orchestrated the plan. He's already fulfilled it to save lives. We're just called to carry it out and to be faithful. Not to be responsible, but to be faithful. There's a difference. So let us allow the fullness of God to dwell in our hearts and to give us this surpassing knowledge and allow us to understand the full breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. 
And may we be praying this for one another. Again, the, what Paul is doing here is that he is not only reminding the Ephesians of, what of how they're to live in this world, but he's reminding them of who they are in Christ. And he's saying, hey, the world is going to tell you that you're not capable of these things, but let me tell you what you are capable of. You're capable of fully knowing God. And you're capable of living it out in this world through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's praying right here for. He's reminding and praying over them these things. He is interceding on their behalf to the Father saying, Lord, allow them to understand these things as Jesus did with his disciples. Jesus prayed, let my disciples understand that, that the things in which I've given them, this knowledge, this glory that they now understand, that they now have seen, it now dwells in them. And even when I'm not here, it's still going to go before them because of the helper. He's praying. He prayed for them to, 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 to recognize that. But as Paul wraps up this prayer, just look at how he closes it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we see that Paul started out this prayer with a prayer as a prayer of submission, not only bowing his knees for himself, but for every family in heaven and on earth that is named under heaven. But then he goes in as a prayer of intercession for these people, and he leads us by example on how we should pray for one another to where now he is ending his prayer with a great prayer of exaltation. <laughs> You see, we have a tendency of coming to the Father with our prayers and lifting them to Him, but yet we don't exalt Him. We come and bring our needs to Him and asking, hey, this is my need. This is what I'm going through. Will you provide? And then when He does provide, what do we do? Thanks. And that's it. But listen to what Paul is saying here. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. He's recognizing that it is God and by God and through God that he has everything he needs. You remember, Paul is in prison when he is writing this letter. But yet he's writing such powerful words. According to the power work within us, he says, this power, we need, as a result of this power, we need to be exalting the Father. To Him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. This is a powerful conclusion to a powerful prayer for these Ephesian people. And ultimately, not just for them, but as we talked about in the weeks past, this letter, as, as we continue to walk through it, is one of the most contemporary letters that you'll see in the New Testament. This letter reaches us where we're at today. And I can only imagine that as Paul was praying this prayer, it was very similar to what Jesus was praying for over his disciples. And the fact that it wasn't just for his disciples, but also for the disciples to come. It's the same heart and the same love and the same affection which Paul was praying for not only just for the Ephesian church, but for our church today. For those who would hear the word of God.
And again, Paul, he is, he's acknowledging and recognizing that this is not about him. This is not about his own glory. It's not about his own publicity. It's not about his own measure of work or his own worthiness. But rather, it's all about Christ Jesus and the finished redeeming work of the gospel. So may we, as we intercede on behalf of others and on, uh, in the church, acknowledge that it is only through the Father that these things are capable of being fulfilled. May we have prayers of exaltation. This is just a quick side note. This, this is an interesting part in the letter too because as Paul finishes his prayer, we see a change of course in his letter. You see, the first three chapters are about how the Ephesian church and how the churches today are to live in the world as a general community, as a unified body of Jesus, how we are to live in the world. But as we go on to chapter four and wrap up this letter, Paul is then going to focus his attention to the inward church of how we as the church are to be living our lives together as the church. So it goes from an outward perspective to now he's going to be clarifying the, the inward workings of the church and how we are to be living. But as we wrap up our time, which I know for some of you guys, you're pretty shocked. Um, I hope that you've learned from Paul and how we must be praying for one another as the church while we are still part of this world. Instead of praying that the Lord takes us out of this world, be praying for the work that's happening in this world. Instead of praying for the unknowns of when Christ is going to return, why don't we pray for the opportunities that we have with our family and our friends and our coworkers who don't know Jesus? But maybe we'd be praying for each other as the church. Because, you know, I just want to make a clarifying statement. Because even though the, the gospel of salvation is based upon a personal relationship with Jesus as Savior and Lord, it is ultimately through the church that the gospel is most magnified and glorified into the world. I feel like there's times as the church that we have a tendency of, of, of I want to say this very carefully, but overemphasizing the one-on-one -on -one evangelism. And, but yet we neglect the church. You see, this building is not full of healthy people, spiritually. This building is full of people who are still broken, but have been saved by the redeeming work of Christ. People on the outside, when they look at this church, they look in, they're saying, wow, that place is fixed and red. I can't go in there because those people have it figured out. No, if anything, it needs to be out there, it says First Baptist Church or the hospital for First Baptist Church. Because we're all broken. And so as we live out the gospel, as we live out the Great Commission, we need to understand that, yes, though we need to go and personally evangelize and share the gospel, but we need to do it together as a unified church. Because when we do it together, it's the most glorified picture of Christ and the Trinity. It's the most glorified picture of, of the Father, Son, and the Spirit together working that's the purpose of the church, for us to go out and put it on display. But yet when we're working individually, that cannot happen. That's why it always irritates me when I hear someone say, you know, the church is good for some people, but it's not good for me. 
No, you need the church. If you're a believer in Jesus, we are called to be in fellowship with one another. I'm going to close with these two passages, though. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. This is Paul again speaking. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a, a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you have been called in one body. And get this, he says, and to be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And he wraps up with this. And you guys, many of you guys know this verse. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the last one I want to close with is Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by, or the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who is promised is faithful. And get this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as we grow in our personal relationship with Jesus, may we not neglect to also grow in our communal relationship with Jesus, with one another, stirring each other on along the way. But as we go into this time of invitation, I'm just going to, I would love to extend an, in, an invite to anyone in this room who you're probably thinking, Josh, I don't. What are you talking about this personal relationship with Jesus? What are you, what are you talking about this height and depth and length and of, of God's love? If you're in this room today, you don't know who Jesus is. I pray that you come down and you have a conversation. I say come down. I pray that you just have a conversation with someone today about how, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. So that way you can come to know the full magnitude of God's love for you. But for the rest of us, I pray that as we leave this place, that we will continually just be praying for one another as the church, as a community, that we all grow in the love of God, not only just on an individual level, but as a communal church so that we can do God's work effectively and efficiently for the kingdom. So I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to go to this time of invitation. And again, I'm going to be down here at the front. Victor will be here as well. I know it's not always the most comfortable thing to get up in front of people. But I pray that if the Lord's working on your heart, that you will come and talk to one of us or talk to somebody that you know for sure has a relationship with Jesus. So will you pray with me? 
Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this morning. And God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the vast love in which you have for us. The fact that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to come and die on the cross for our sins. So that way we no longer have to bear the weight of them, but through him have life. And God, there's anyone here today who does not know you. I pray that they will come to know you in a very real way. But Lord, I, I, finally, though, I pray that as we as the church, that as we continue to be sanctified and to, uh, and to continue to grow in you, Father, that we will not neglect the opportunity for us to do it together because that's what most glorifies you in this world. So, Lord, be with us, work in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.